This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon and welcome to the Daily Digest on The Bigger Picture. I'm Juliet Jacobs, joined by Dashran Johan and Hezrel Ashraf. So many of us have probably looked up our health symptoms online before, whether it's a mysterious rash or a cough that just won't go away. (laughs) But does doing that actually cause more harm than good? Yeah, so um, we are also running a Twitter. Uh, on that note, we are running a poll on our Twitter page, which is at BFM Radio. And we are asking you, do you look up your health symptoms online before seeing a doctor? So your options are all the time, um, only for strange symptoms, and no, I trust my doctor. So you can take that poll on our Twitter page at BFM Radio. You can drop a comment under the poll. Alternatively, alternatively you can also WhatsApp us 018-789-8899. Yeah, so not everyone agrees that... You know, when it comes to looking up our health symptoms, Dr. Google is reliable. In fact, it's always, uh, you know, been a controversial topic. Uh, many of our doctors that have come on our shows uh, almost always warn patients to not worry too much about what, uh, you know, what they find on the internet. And more often than not, right, uh, you end up thinking and, and fearing the worst. Uh, but a recent study published in JAMA Open Network found that uh, looking up your health symptoms online could actually be less harmful uh, than we think. That's right. Um, researchers from Harvard uh, presented about 5,000 participants with a series of symptoms and asked them to imagine that someone close to them was experiencing the symptoms. So these symptoms range from mild to severe and describes common illnesses such as viruses, um, heart attacks and strokes. And based on that information, they were asked to make a diagnosis. So after that, they were also asked to look up um, these symptoms on the internet and to make another diagnosis. So besides that, the participants were also asked to triage the condition, which ranges from, and I'm quoting here, let the health issue get better on its own to calling the emergency services. And when that was done, they were asked to record their anxiety levels before and after they looked up the symptoms Mm. online. Mm. And what the results found was a slight uptick in diagnosis accuracy from 49.8% to 54% before and after searching the symptoms online. Mm. But there was no difference in triage accuracy or anxiety. Right. And the lead author of the study, Dr. David uh, uh, Levine, said the findings suggest that medical experts and policymakers don't necessarily need to warn patients away from the internet when it comes to seeking health information and even self-diagnosis. Instead, he thinks that using the internet may help patients figure out what is wrong. And he also added that they did not observe forms of cyberchondria among participants as people didn't become more anxious after looking up the symptoms online. But as always, there are some caveats. So the study was only done in the United States and the participants were mostly Caucasian. The average age of participants was was a of 45 years old, but they did have an uh, even gender split. Yeah, so, you know, we want to dive deeper into this idea of Googling up your symptoms because, you know, I'm sure we've all, we've all done that at some point, right? <laughs> oh, yes. uh, or know of someone who has. And, and once you start doing it, it's like falling into a rabbit hole. You know, you jump from one condition to another. And I, sometimes I find myself just overthinking. Yes, oh, yes. Just definitely. The worst. It's yeah. like, yeah. And you, so if you've not heard of the term cyberchondria before, uh, it refers to the tendency to self-diagnose health problems online to the point where the results are exacerbating the anxiety that you know people feel and it's a technology enabled issue that drives people to repeatedly search their symptoms online despite the distress 
that it causes them. Mm. Yeah, and the term cyberchondria is relatively new as it was coined sometime in the early 2000s with the beginnings of high-speed internet and smartphones. So it's a play on the word, as I'm sure you guess, hypochondria, also known as health anxiety. Mm. So this refers to a condition where the individual excessively um, is excessively worried that they are or may become seriously ill even if diagnostic tests have shown otherwise. So while hypochondria is recognised as a mental disorder, cyberchondria is not recognised as one and it is not included in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders by the American Psychiatric Association. Mm -hmm. And because of this, we have no data on how common it is. Right. So are there people who might be predisposed to cyberchondria or hypochondria? What are the underlying causes of it? So here's a clip from a previous Daily Digest that we did where mm-hmm. clinical psychologist Dr. Joel Lau answers these questions. I think anyone can be uh, uh, susceptible to cyberchondria, right? I don't, don't think there is a situation where there are people who are more or less susceptible to it. I think naturally people who are a bit more anxious, who have a history with anxiety disorders, for example, I think they will be more predisposed towards it. Right? Other people who have uh, had ma- major medical conditions, like perhaps if they survive a medical scare like a stroke or a heart attack or whatever it is, I think they'll be more predisposed as well uh, because naturally they, are more hy- they have a more heightened awareness or anxiety about uh, their own health and all that kind of good stuff. So uh, hypochondria, um, generally speaking, is a very anxiety-based disorder. It's when someone is anxious about something, right? And in this case, it's a particular focus on... Um, uh, your health and wellness, your, your illness, your medical illness, like that, like, right? So that's usually what's underlying it. Like, there's a lot of anxiety involved. The reason why people go on Google and whatnot to go and self-diagnose and figure out what's going on is because they are worried, right? They, they don't want to get sick, they don't want to die, and that kind of thing, right? So typically speaking, um, they, there is a very strong notion or strong idea of death and, and illness in these people, like that, that's right? So that, that, that's why they self-diagnose. They want to try and self-diagnose. Uh, so Dr. Joel also shared whether he thinks hypochondria and cyberchondria uh, are both, you know, serious medical conditions. I think all, all mental health disorders are serious to a certain extent. I think with uh, hypochondria, the traditional form of hypochondria, um, it's serious in the sense that if left treated, if left unmanaged, it's going to escalate, right? So, you know, the first time you have it, you start looking up symptoms online. The next time you have it, you start looking for an hour, then two hours, then three hours. I think the, the seriousness or the, the criticalness comes when you start letting it rule your life or run your life. When it gets to that point, then yes, it's going to be a very serious mental health disorder. So if you have some inklings or fear about whether you're sick or not, I think that's still, that which is still manageable, that's fine. But when it starts dominating your life, I think that's, that's uh, crossing the line. That's that. And finally, Dr. Joel also emphasised the importance of seeking out help if it gets to a point where hypochondria or cyberchondria is taking over your life. So there are many good ways to overcome it. I think the most uh, straightforward way is to um, talk about the fears that you have, right? either with friends or family or even with a therapist for that, for that matter. And the reason why I say talk about it is because sometimes when we are living in our own head, our thoughts can get very loud, they get amplified, right? So uh, whatever fears or anxieties that we have is going to get amplified louder and louder and louder. Uh, and that's because our minds are wonderful, creative things. That's why we can think of things like aeroplanes and iPhones and all that kind of good stuff. But the problem is that it also takes a bad idea and amplify it as well. It's very fantastical in that way, right? So when we don't have anyone to bounce ideas off or thoughts off, what's going to happen is that all those negativity and anxiety is just going to amplify itself again and again and again. 
So when we're able to have an outside outlet, when you can speak to someone about it, right, um, then they can give you, like, you know, uh, other opinions, for example, countering ideas and all that kind of good stuff. And that really helps uh, loosen up or release some of the anxiety that you have. If, let's say, it gets to a point where it's too critical, then therapy would probably be a good idea, right? So therapy using uh, something like CBT, for example, that's cognitive behavior therapy. CBT works on helping someone understand the nature of their thoughts, where those thoughts are coming from, and then after that, how to manage those thoughts. So with uh, cyberchondria or hypochondria, usually what happens is that someone has a preoccupation with negative and fearful anxiety-provoking thoughts. CBT will help you understand where those thoughts are coming from, and then um, understand uh, that it's just thought. Uh, that's it. it doesn't have to rule your life. It doesn't have to dominate your life. Uh, so those are some good ways to help manage uh, hypochondriasis or cyberchondria. You just heard clinical psychologist Dr. Joel Lowe, and those were clips from a Daily Digest segment uh, for back in 2019. And you can look that up by searching, uh, by looking up cyber- cyberchondria on bfm.my. Yep. So, fess up, guys. How often do you look up your symptoms <laughs> uh, online? All yeah. the yes. time. <laughs> yeah. So, I have a mild case of cyberchondria, I think. So, let me just. So, I have this thing called lipoma, which mm. is like sort of like fat of a spots it, it is like this this dots you have on your body la. and what was so it, when i when i woke up one day and i realized i had it mm. i'm looking mm. at it right now right mm. i i was panicking because i thought it was a tumor and i got cancer mm. and things like that so i have this this thing where like if something if it's a normal cough or flu things like that i'm fine but does, does, does it itch or no, no, oh, okay. no, 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 no. Okay, so you don't feel anything. No, 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 okay. it's fine. It's like okay. a benign, like unimportant kind of thing. Like, it's, mm. it's not serious at all. It's But I have this thing where if I'm, especially if it's like things that I'm not familiar with, I will go down this rabbit hole of WebMD and, mm. you know, the next thing you, I, I know, I'm like, oh, no, I, I'm going to die, you know, <laughs> within the next uh, few days. Laugh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I had a, a rash once and I looked it up um and and yeah, I just you know I just go through all the symptoms. Um, I, usually, I, I go through the uh, through the uh, causes first as, as much as possible, um, and then try to link it with like I don't know like stuff I ate maybe mm. if, if if it is a rash or um, you know I just try to look back at maybe like you know like if it says you know it, it may be from a lack of sleep or anxiety then then I'll think about you know what happened that day yeah. that, that might have uh, you know triggered uh, caused that. yeah triggered it mm-hmm. yeah. for me it's I, i'm fairly okay for myself but when it comes to stuff about my children especially oh. for my oh, first child yeah. oh, no. uh, you know anything gosh you know you look it up mm-hmm. and then you go down the rabbit hole so first you check the web mds and all mm-hmm. of those then you go to the chat groups and the facebook groups and then you just mm-hmm. go slightly crazy yeah. la, because you know it's like okay my child has got this, this disease that mm-hmm. disease yeah and, i can imagine yeah. because your first child so you yeah. 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 yeah no experience mm-hmm. uh, and there wasn't anyone i could ask I mean, yeah. obviously, I should have just called her pediatrician, mm. but you know, I was like, let's not disturb the pediatrician yet. Yeah. And instead, went down this rabbit hole, and it was the worst thing that I could do because so, you know they get so many weird things happening to yeah, them. Yeah, because I've never actually thought of going to like Facebook chat groups. Um, Don't do it. Because <laughs> usually, I'll just I'll, I'll go to at least two, uh, at least three mm-hmm. different websites mm-hmm. besides you know WebMD and. I try to you know go to like uh, I don't know uh, New York Times or like you know like those mm-hmm. uh, news portals that have like a health section. So uh-huh. I, I'm trying to do more and more and more of that. So then I can just you know uh, cover my bases. Yeah, but uh, basically for me it was just like I came up you know to the worst conclusion possible. Like okay, my child is severely impaired or something. Mm-hmm. It was just like she oh, had wow. a one thigh was slightly bigger than the rest. Oh, the other God. one and yes, rest, and, like and because other. a lot of these when you go on these websites. 
a lot of the symptoms are similar yes, between exactly. like something very small versus mm. something very serious. Mm. And I, when we don't know, because we are not doctors, we are not professionals, yeah. so we just assume the worst and, yeah. and go from there. And, and it's funny because when I actually do ask my friends who are doctors, they always assume sort of the 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 least worst case scenario mm, they, yeah. they'll usually go with the mm-hmm. minimum mm-hmm. and then and then they'll start asking you more and usually it's yeah you're fine <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's funny how how there's how the gap you know how we think yes. and how actually doctors think exactly right. um i'm just curious though that's um you know has COVID 19 sort of made your anxieties worse you know if you mm. had any even before that hmm. uh Yes, yes. Uh, I mean, I, I had, the, I think I had a little panic attack last year when, you know, during the first, um, you know, M- MCO, right? When I heard about breathing, because I have, uh, I, you know, I have, um, I have a history of asthma, mm-hmm. like, it's mild, but so, so th- those kinds of things, you know, I was like, oh, you know, would it, would it, you know, what effect would that have on me, right? Um, so those th- sort of things, because mm-hmm. it's related to, to the um, to COVID-19, pre-existing, yeah, yeah. pre-existing yeah. symptoms. Yeah. I, I think my anxieties mm-hmm. did increase a little bit in mm-hmm. terms of because of COVID, but it's only like COVID related things, right? Like, okay, if it's like a flu or, you know, if mm-hmm. you get like one of those um, symptoms, it's, yeah. but I don't know if COVID made my hypochondria itself mm. worse. Mm. Okay, yeah. all right. Well, you know, if you have short, um, stories to share with us, you know, if you've looked up your health symptoms online, uh, tell us, you know, whether it helped you or did it make you more anxious. You can tweet us at BFM Radio or you can send us a WhatsApp message, message at 018-789-8899. Um, after this, we'll be speaking to consultant respiratory physician, Dr. Helmi Hajamaidin, to get his thoughts on whether patients looking up their symptoms online is harmful or beneficial. So don't go anywhere. This is the Daily Digest on the bigger picture, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to the Daily Digest on the bigger picture. I'm Julia Jacobs with Hezreel Ashraf and Dashran Johan. So today we are talking about looking up your health symptoms online. And this is after a recent study found that it could be beneficial and lead to slightly more accurate self-diagnosis of conditions if the person searched for their symptoms online. Uh, so before the break, we listened to a few clips from a previous Daily Digest segment where we spoke to clinical psychologist Dr. Joel Lowe about, how, about who might be more susceptible to hypochondria and cyberchondria, as well as the importance of seeking help. Mm. Yes, and we are going to get a clinician's perspective in uh, just a few uh, minutes, but um, at the same time, we also want to know um, what we ask. We, we're asking you on Twitter, right? Um, do you look up your health symptoms online before seeing a doctor? And your options are all the time, only for strange symptoms, and no, I trust my doctor. So you can take the poll on our Twitter page at BFM Radio. You can drop a comment under the poll. You can also WhatsApp in 018-789-8899. Yep. Uh, so now joining us on, on the line, though, in the meantime, to share his thoughts uh, is consultant respiratory physician, Dr. Halmi. Haja Maiden. Thanks for joining us today, Dr. Helmi. Uh, now, you know, how often do patients, uh, you know, come to you having already armed themselves with information that they found on the internet? I would say relatively often. I can't give you an exact figure, but maybe let's say half to two thirds. And sometimes it varies between demographics as well. So you probably don't get as many elderly patients coming in having Google things. So it's something that tends to affect more those who are perhaps um, a bit younger in the age spectrum, those who are perhaps a little bit more worried. So some people who sometimes already have some underlying anxiety, or sometimes it's very much dependent on who they've been talking to. So their 
social circles. Because, for example, if somebody has a cough that's not going away, then mm-hmm. someone might whisper to them and say, "Hey, you're a smoker and you're coughing. You know, you know it's cancer, right?" And then they'll go, "Oh." What do I do? And then the first thing they will do, of course, is they will look for information. And that's human nature. You go for the easiest or the least obstructive way of obtaining information. And in that sense, you do get a lot of people who are looking for information. How they process that information and what they bring to the clinic with them, that's a whole different ballgame. So, you know, we've heard uh, stories of patients, you know, who go to see their doctor and they'll usually say, uh, you know, I think I have this condition or do I have this? Um, How do you talk to them and approach the subject if they already have preconceived notions about the condition they might have, you know, based on what they've read on the Internet? The the luxury that one would need is actually time because in a busy practice, for example, you tend to want to rush things through, right? So from a doctor's perspective, you're thinking, right, this is a straightforward, say, cold and you just want to get things over and done with. But you always have to put yourself in the patient's perspective because for the patients, it may not just be a cold. It may they, have may they may have come in once again with that preconceived notion that this is something more serious. So the important thing really is to actually take a step back, try to get some time and then to actually go through the thought process the decision-making process of the patient. What is it that you think you have? What are your concerns? Why do you think you have those things? And, you know, what are your expectations? And I think when we start to review things or see things from the patient's perspective, that it makes a bit more sense because ultimately, that's one of the doctor's job. You know, there's no such thing as a silly notion on the patient's um, side of things because ultimately, they are dependent on you as a specialist to make things more relevant, to actually make things more rational, more logical. And the only way you you put themselves or you put yourself in their shoes right Uh, and there's often an emotional aspect to this isn't it especially when patients have uh, already looked up their symptoms online of course and being sick being unwell or even thinking that you're being unwell is a very emotional thing and we have to move away from thinking of it as a purely physical thing and the the thing about looking up for conditions online is sometimes you, you know, if you don't have the right skill set in terms of looking at things critically or logically, or if you get information from the wrong place, then it may further enforce any false beliefs that you may already have. So if you're someone who thinks you have cancer, you'll Google things that are related to cancer and you come away thinking, oh, all those symptoms that say that indicate cancer are the symptoms that I have when they could quite easily be something very different. Now, once again, that's where the conversation is very important. That's where figuring out why a patient or an individual feels or thinks in a particular way is very important and why we should approach things in that manner. Okay. And why do you think some people are so firm in believing what they read or what they learn online over what they hear from their doctor, for example? Um, it's probably a combination of things. One I would say is that there is a a lot of um, there's a need for certainty. So there is a some people go online wanting a clear answer, wanting a definitive answer. And sometimes that's not something that can easily be offered in real life because in medicine or in life really, it's rarely black and white. There are lots of shades of grey. And now with that with that in mind. People crave certainty when they are facing an emotional or a physical issue. And this is where going online, searching and trying to be in control of the situation is a reason why a lot of people get driven to look for information elsewhere. And when would it be harmful to rely too much on the information they find online, perhaps to the point of a cyberchondria? 
I think once again, it boils down to one's ability to look at things critically. So when you look up information, you must always be aware that you're looking at things from a perspective of a layperson. So you may not know what you don't know. That's very important to be aware of. You may not know how to compare different studies or different outcomes because there's a lot of scientific method that one needs to be familiar with in order to actually assess different outcomes. And those are very, very important facts that one needs to bear in mind when you're looking at information online. Now, the other thing is also to be sure that you're not too dogmatic about things because you need to be able to be flexible in terms of how you approach things or how you think about things in the face of new evidence. So let's say, for example, you go and see a doctor and you say, you know what? I've got lung cancer. And then the doctor does a CT scan, does all the appropriate investigations. It's all negative. And you still think, no, 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 I have got lung cancer. Then you're starting to veer away from the facts and the data that's presented. And then there becomes a question of why. Why is that individual veering away? What other factors are there? Is it, once again, sometimes not just a physical thing, but perhaps there is an element of anxiety. Do you need additional psychological support? These are different things that can be questioned or can be brought up depending on the stage of the patient's journey. And Dr. Helmi, could it potentially affect their treatment and diagnosis as well? Because there are all these different thoughts running through the patient's mind. Definitely. I mean, one clear example, and I keep coming back to lung cancer because it's very common in lung cancer. You, you know, I've got, I've got, I've had un- unfortunately multiple situations where patients come with a preconceived notion of what they have. They don't necessarily believe what the doctor says. They then go to another doctor who may say the same thing or something slightly different. They still don't believe it. They go online. They get different sources of information. They get WhatsApp messages or information from friends telling them that, hey, you know what? That drug is wrong or chemotherapy is bad. You should go back to the kampong and see this doc- this BOMO or this kind of um, rich doctor to do X, Y, Z. And what happens ultimately is you're delaying diagnosis, you're delaying treatment, and something that was potentially curative at the beginning may become incurable down the line. So in very unfortunately, in rather common circumstances, this lack of taking the data presented to you and then keep in trying to keep on searching for an answer that you may want to believe, that can actually delay and really, really cause adverse outcomes in terms of the management of a particular case. Mm, right. Now, you, you know, we, we have to ask you this as well, you know, uh, on the flip side, when, when do you think it would be beneficial for patients to do their own research? Um, don't get me wrong. I think there is value in actually looking up information. It's the manner in which we process that information. It's the manner in which we take things on board. And I always believe that you need to empower your patient with information for them to make the best or for them to get the best outcome. So one common thing I do is when patients come and see me and let's say I give them a diagnosis there is no doubt in my mind that they will go out searching for more information. They will go out and get other sources of things to either confirm or to refute what they've been told. And I would rather they do it in the right way. So I will preemptively or proactively tell them, look, you're going to have lots of questions. These are some websites where you may get more appropriate, more scientifically sound advice or information. Go away if you have any questions, anything that you yourself feel is being unanswered, when you come back to me for follow-up, ask me those questions and we'll go through them together. And we have to also be humble enough to know that even doctors do not have the answers for everything. Sometimes it's a journey of discovering those answers together. So I don't, I wouldn't really say going online 
is bad per se. It's the manner in which we do it. It's where we get our information from. And being humble enough to realize that not everything that we read is necessarily God's truth. Okay, so it's about directing patients to the right sources, as well as leaving that channel of communication between doctors and patients open throughout the process, right? Um, So before we let you go, Dr. Helmi, would you have a final message for our listeners? I would say we need to, whether it's symptoms online or the current issue with vaccines, there's so much fake news floating all around. And the basic concept remains the same. Whatever information that you do get, you need to clarify You need to be objective and you need to be very, very sure that you're getting it from the right source and always double check. So if let's say, for example, you do have asthma, then you would want to go to a website or a source that is specific about asthma with real good evidence base behind it. If you start veering off the beaten track and you go down the route of people who are selling you potions and whatnot, then you need to question whether or not the person providing or the entity providing the information has got some vested interest in play. So always be critical, always be clear that whatever you're reading is once again, not necessarily the absolute truth. All right. Thanks so much uh, for speaking with us today, Dr. Helmi. That was consultant respiratory physician, Dr. Helmi Haja Maiden, joining us to share his thoughts on whether patients should be looking up their symptoms or not. Uh, and I think the key takeaway from what we heard was that, you know, it's not all bad, but, you know, there's always a need to ensure that we're reading it from the right sources. And there could be so many reasons behind uh, a particular symptom that, you know, it's always best to consult your doctor uh, before coming to conclusions. That's right. And we want to know what you think. So we have a poll running on our Twitter page at BFM Radio. And we're asking, do you look up your health symptoms online before seeing a doctor? Right about now, um, 55% of y'all say all the time. 37% of y'all say only for strange symptoms. And 7% of y'all say, no, I trust my doctor. Um, we've got a message um, from Sean Sheriff who said, you should ask the lived experiences of those with illnesses that even doctors can diagnose. The internet opens up connections to the world who may have the same medical issues. And like like it or not, this is the only way for patients and doctors to get further information for management. Um, we've also got a nice um, a WhatsApp message that came in anonymously. And um, basically, she said, my, mom's, my mom once searched her symptoms online and mm. self-diagnosed shingles. Then she went to the clinic and the doctor said it's not and gave treatment for some other problems. And then after a few days, they, uh, they went to another clinic to get second opinion. And even that doctor diagnosed her with something else. And of few days later, they finally went to a hospital to check with the doctor and that doctor uh, in the hospital diagnosed um, her and, and treated it as shingles and then oh. the issue was solved. So ultimately, it was uh, shingles wow. and, I, and she said that you know, a lot of times doctors just brush off these online diagnoses and, mm. and you know, get mm. defensive. Yeah. And I think that's quite interesting because um, I, research is always good, right? Mm. It's it's always good yeah. to to you know like try and like uh, study more or like research more and learn more about what what your body is going mm. through. But the pro- problem with people like me is that the research isn't done from a neutral perspective mm. necessarily. That it's <laughs> always you know assuming the worst yeah. about like what you you brought up earlier. You know, it's just keep assuming the worst. Of yeah, the, of what's I, going I mean, on. I, I appreciate doctors, you know, who who do you know uh, encourage right or are supportive of of us uh, going out there for information. I think for me, at the end of the day it's it's more of um what matters is you know okay doc you know like what what do you think what do you think i should do Mm -hmm. um and and i think as long as they they're they're open and honest about that you know then then the rest is you know i'm fine with 
Yeah, and I think it's like a, a mix, right? You need to have your own sort of knowledge. Mm-hmm. And of course, you go and speak to the doctor. And I think it's like just like what Dr. Helmi said, you know, just have an open conversation with yep. your doctor, have open channels of communication. Yeah, and if you get, you know, tumor on your hand, go and check. Don't just assume you're going to get cancer <laughs> and die <laughs> like what I did previously. Don't be dashed. That's the <laughs> conclusion. Well, I'm afraid that's all the time we have for today's show. But you can always drop us a message. Uh, if you'd like to get in touch with the team, just look us up on Facebook, search for BFM The Bigger Picture, and you can drop Drop us a message there. And if you have any thoughts that you continue that you'd like to continue sharing, you can always tweet us at BFM Radio or send us a WhatsApp message at 018-789-8899. And if you miss any part of today's show or any previous um, Daily Digest shows, you can download the podcast at bfm.my slash daily digest. We're on the BFM app, we're on Spotify, you can find us on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts and many, many other places where you can download your podcasts from. But don't go anywhere. Coming up at 3 p.m. on Live and Learn. Uh Hez is gonna be sticking around. What you got up yeah. today? <laughs> so uh, I'm be speaking with uh, ideas um, Sri Murniyati Yusuf as well as uh, Bangi MP Ong Kian Ming uh, about a report that Ideas and Bursi have released um, on ways to suggest you know how all, all uh, MPs and adons can receive equal parliamentary allocations or, or constituency development funds you know and, and ways that um, I think the the level pl- the playing field can be. Uh, more leveled for both opposition and government Mm. MPs. Okay. Mm. All right. Sounds interesting. So that's coming up after the 3 p.m. news, but that's it from us from the Daily Digest. This has been The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.